1: Welcome back to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the real pleasure to talk with Daryl West, who is the author of the very recently released Billionaires, Reflections on the Upper Crust. Daryl, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, Heath. It's nice to be with you.
1: Yeah, it was a real pleasure to read the book, and uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you about it. Uh, You've had a number of conversations about this, and it's nice to have you here in this context to talk about the book. Before we get to it, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, because you have a pretty interesting professional background.
0: So I taught political science for 26 years at Brown University and then moved to Brookings in 2008. So I've been here for the last six years and work on various aspects of American politics, uh, mass media and
1: election campaign be hard-pressed to find uh, someone in American politics who, who hasn't read something that you've written uh, I know I've read a, a lot of your uh, Writing writing related to the subject which is fundamentally about money and politics and you come out This in in real interesting way. So let's start at the start um, How many billionaires are there exactly and and how did you figure this out? How do, how do we get to the total that you you come to in the book?
0: There are about 1,600 billionaires around the world, and about a third of them live in the United States, so so that's around uh, 500 individuals. And for the information on the billionaires, I used the Forbes list of billionaires. Uh, They have been uh, looking at uh, billionaires over the past 30 years or so. Uh, So I uh, looked at their numbers. Uh, They claimed that uh, these billionaires control about $6.4 trillion in assets, and so it struck me that Given the political activism of billionaires, it was time for a book that would look at who these individuals are, how they made their money, and how they're using their money for political purposes.
1: You, you have such a nice writing style in the book. Um, this is a, a, an analytical book. This is a book that fits into the political science tradition. But also, you also know, sort of relate your own walking through of the t- uh, terrain, and you tell a humorous encounter that you had with Donald Trump. Um, Would you recount this for us and, and maybe sort of explain what this expressed to you about the politics of the super rich?
0: I mean, one of the things I did in the book was to retell some of my personal experiences with the billionaires. Between uh, teaching at Brown and now being at Brookings, I've had encounters with probably around 20 different uh, billionaires. And so, in addition to analyzing the role of billionaires, I try in the book to shed some personal light on them and tell some of the positive as well as negative experiences that I've had with them. And so, the Trump encounter I uh, really struck me as... Uh, something that revealed uh, interesting things about billionaires and how they uh, think about themselves. Because if the story goes back a couple of years ago. I was interviewed by Politico, uh, a newspaper, about whether Trump should speak before the 2012 Republican National Convention. So I gave a tongue-in-chief response that Republicans should send Trump on an all-expenses trip around the world because if he actually spoke at the convention, he would bring the party nothing but Trump. So the morning that my quote appeared, I'm sitting in my office, the phone rings, and I get a call from Trump's personal assistant asking for my email address. So I give it to her, and shortly thereafter, she sends me a missive from the billionaire himself, in which he had pasted my quote about him in the body of the email, and then in big black bold letters, he had written, "Daryl, you are a fool." Best wishes, Al mm-hmm. J. Trump. And so that's when I discovered how really sensitive some billionaires are about things that are said about them in the press.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think that um, just this idea. That this is a, a growing number, maybe, of billionaires, but it's still such a sort of a. Uh, special group and and just finding out some of the sort of the ins and outs of, of of how they live is is interesting and uh, one of the ways that you do this is, is talk about some of the the novel ways that that billionaires and the rich can can influence politics and you have a chapter on new models of philanthropy um, so uh, briefly how do the wealthy use philanthropic foundations to aid some of their political and and policy ambitions.
0: Well, the old model of philanthropy would be rich people would give money to universities or hospitals and think tanks and basically let their experts figure out how to solve a problem. Like someone might be interested in education or healthcare care or global poverty. They did not try and dictate the solution, but there now are new models where billionaires, foundations and other people with a lot of money are have particular interests but they also have particular ideas on how to solve those problems so this new model is called impact philanthropy and oftentimes people will give money but they'll have performance metrics where they track your progress towards stated goals and I argue in the book that universities and think tanks need to worry about these uh, new models because they're much more interventionist than uh, what was true in the past and Basically, a lot of these individuals have very specific ideas on what they want to happen, and so it poses new risks for universities. It creates more problems for think tanks, and so it's just something everybody needs to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, and, and just <laughs> as your book was being published, there were news reports uh, about the uh, about your own institution uh, confronting the the tension. That, that enters into the mix when, when outside money comes in to support ambitions. The, the specific case was foreign governments. Putting sort of that specific case aside, I, I wonder um, how do research institutions insulate or, or protect themselves from these moneyed interests, be they, be they national in origin or individual? How are those protections put in place over the, the integrity of social scientific research, which is at the, the, key, the core mission of, a, of an organization like Brookings?
0: I mean, what universities do, and Brookings uh, follows exactly the same policy, is to really emphasize the academic freedom of their scholars. Here at Brookings, scholars can basically write on whatever topics they want, and they can write whatever uh, they want. You know, there's no review board or anybody who basically tells them what to do. Uh, Brookings does raise money, but we don't accept gifts that have streams attached to them that basically try and tell our scholars what to do. And the thing I like about Brookings is there's a wide variety of viewpoints here. I mean, even in my own government studies uh, program, uh, we have Republicans, independents, and Democrats. Uh, Sometimes there are wild arguments over uh, particular things like, you know, the success of Obamacare uh, or uh, various uh, types of issues uh, that are coming uh, before the country. So I think the healthiest thing is for universities and think tanks to be transparent about their fundraising and where they are getting uh, their uh, gifts, uh, but then to give scholars the freedom to take their research wherever it goes. And, you know,
1: know, this diversity of opinion, I think, is reflected also in some of the ambitions and and the political views of some of the billionaires that that you study. Um, This is not just a single self-interested, self-motivated group. There's a range of opinions, and some of this plays out in increasingly um, globalized nature of of billionaires. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how billionaires have have been involved in politics outside of the U.S. and some of the the, the very different agendas that you see in some of the different countries.
0: I do try and look at billionaires outside of the United uh, States. And I found in uh, analyzing some of their activities that billionaires have run for office in more than a dozen different countries. And most of the time they actually win. I mean, the most famous example is Berlusconi, uh, who uh, was elected prime minister of Italy and served a number of years. Uh, Most recently, uh, Poroshenko uh, has just been elected uh, the new leader in Ukraine. And so it's not at all unusual in other countries for us to see this fusion of economic and political power. And when you look around the world... Where billionaires have one office, invariably there are charges about insider dealing, uh, cronyism, Uh, uh, the billionaire using government to serve uh, his own economic interests and so I think that sends a lot of warning signs about what's happening in the United States because we are seeing billionaires run for office here Uh, sometimes they win like in the case of Michael Bloomberg Uh, sometimes they lose in the case of uh, Meg Whitman when she ran for uh, governor of California but the example from abroad uh, should send warning signs because Abroad, we're seeing billionaires buy news outlets. We're starting to see the same thing in the United States. Rupert Murdoch owns Wall Street Journal and Fox News. Michael Bloomberg uh, purchased Businessweek. Uh, Jeff Bezos uh, just purchased the uh, Washington Post. So some of the warning signs of political activity uh, that we're seeing abroad are now starting to filter back into the United States.
1: Is, is there anything that can be done ab- about this? There, there's some. Um, I think perceptions of harm. Um, it's, it's harder to really pin down what that that harm is on on political systems and on policymaking. Um, but there's a perception that there is harm. Are there steps that can be taken, either in the U.S. or in countries abroad, to to try to set up regulatory systems so that the influence is uh, so influence is fair, so influence is not so. Uh, distorted, that the only billionaires have a, have a voice at the table. What what are your ideas about reform?
0: I spent the last two chapters of my book laying out a reform agenda because I didn't want to just write a book kind of talking about the problems of billionaire political activism without trying to grapple with the uh, ways that we can get a handle on it. So, at a minimum, we need to improve the transparency of our uh, money and politics uh, system. Uh, we know that After Watergate, there were uh, major disclosure rules and spending caps on elections and other uh, reforms designed to prevent abuses in this area. But over the last 30 years, there have been major loopholes uh, blown in these laws by uh, various Supreme Court rulings. So we basically are now in a situation where we've gone back to a pre-Watergate era of secrecy and big money. That's a very toxic combination for uh, democratic political system. So I argue we should have uh, daily disclosure, like right now with the Federal Election Commission, there is quarterly disclosure of campaign uh, contributions in the internet era. There's no reason why we have to wait three months to find out who is uh, funding uh, various uh, political campaigns. Uh, you know, There should be online uh, disclosure on a, a daily basis so that people could uh, check uh, what's going on. I think in the 2014 elections, we're going to have a uh, test of some of these ideas because in the closing weeks of this campaign we're likely going to see a number of billionaires both from the left and the right dump a lot of money into those half dozen or so key senate races trying to influence uh, what goes on so anything we can do to improve disclosure of their activities would make a difference because we know from a voter standpoint the messenger matters as much as uh, the message I also think that on a longer term basis, we need to think about ways to promote greater social and economic opportunity. I grew up on a, a farm in rural Ohio. Uh, our family didn't have a lot of money, but through education, I was able to get a number of opportunities and ended up teaching the Ivy League and then uh, coming to uh, Brookings. The worry that I have Today is that the poor kids in the Midwest and elsewhere around the country do not have the same opportunities that I had uh, several decades ago. You know, it's harder to get uh, a college education because of the high costs. Uh, there are problems in the healthcare system. So I just think we need to promote social and economic opportunities uh, through the education system, through healthcare. And we also need to pay attention to our tax code uh, so that uh, there is a fairer uh, tax code uh, that we have.
1: Now, now after, after a single quote in Politico, you got a missive from Donald Trump. You've now put out a full book and you've been pretty active in in getting the word out on the book. Have you gotten any similar missives from, from billionaires out there? Has anyone reached out to you and either said, I've read the book and agree with what you're saying or, or expressed more of the Donald Trump view of, of uh, your writing? Uh, have you gotten much feedback uh, from the, the billionaire class on, on your perspectives?
0: I actually have gotten uh, feedback uh, from billionaires as well as a number of other uh, individuals. And there have been different types of reactions uh, that I've uh, gotten Uh, One surprising uh, reaction, which I picked up during the course of my uh, research as well, uh, is there's some billionaires who feel misunderstood, uh, which is kind of startling because, you know, they have all this money. We think they lead a great life. But, you know, a lot of billionaires are feeling under attack uh, these days. They don't understand the controversy surrounding their role because from their standpoint, they think. You know, we had an idea, we built a business, we created a bunch of jobs. Why don't people appreciate the great things that we have done for society? Uh, like, they're not so attuned to some of the issues of economic, and political opportunity that I uh, talk about in the book. But there are other billionaires who actually do see inequality as a problem, both from an economic as well as a political standpoint. Uh, and they appreciate that people are out there raising uh, these uh, types of issues. So I would say there's been a range of uh, different reactions that I've heard since the book has come out.
1: What's, what's next for you uh, or what's next from the center that you uh, direct? Is, is there another book project that, that you're starting now that this one has been brought to a close uh, or, or is there another direction for what's uh, going to fill your time?
0: I'm interested in continuing uh, to analyze the role that billionaires are playing. Uh, Certainly, as the 2014 election comes to a conclusion, I'll be paying close attention uh, to uh, the Koch brothers, uh, Michael Bloomberg, uh, Tom Steyer, a climate change uh, uh, billionaire, uh, and just seeing how they uh, are using their money to try and influence the process after the election. Uh, we're going to continue to monitor uh, both what happens with billionaires in the United States as well as around the world. Uh, what I've discovered in looking globally is this link between uh, wealth and politics is an issue in virtually every country, and different countries are handling it differently. You know, in Russia and China, they're cracking down on their uh, billionaires. They're worried about the political activism. Uh, in Europe, uh, they're uh, concerned about uh, what happens uh, when Uh, wealth uh, tries to uh, influence the political process. So there's certainly going to be plenty of interesting cases to analyze in the future, both in the United States as well as abroad. Um, um,
1: The book is really interesting. Uh, uh, Again, the title of the book is Billionaires, Reflections on the Upper Crust. Uh, Daryl and his, his editors uh I did something uh, somewhat unusual in, in the printing of this book. They included in some ways a critical comment uh you know we we always look to the the jacket of the book and you get uh universal praise but uh the the you put in a, a quote by Michael Medved that says that you know he um disagrees with you uh, largely, but that he really enjoyed the book. I, you don't see that very often, so I wanted just to commend you on on doing something that, uh, that most books don't have, which is sort of a little bit of the other side. Um, the book was published this year by Brookings Institution Press. Uh, I think it's a really interesting read. Daryl, thank you very much for your time today.
0: Thank you, Keith. I enjoyed talking to you.